Well, maybe it's fitting because I'm going to talk about um, being a blessing to our families. So I'm going to talk about uh, parents, kids, husband, and wife. And that passage comes from Colossians chapter 3. Uh, so if you could turn to Colossians chapter 3, I'm going to read a bigger section. And we'll focus on uh, three or four verses. But Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through chapter 4, verse 1. Colossians chapter 3, verse 12 to chapter 4, verse 1. This is Paul writing to the church in Colossae. He says, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Wives, submit to your husbands as it is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives as, and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye-serving as people-pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ, for, he, for the wrongdoers will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there's no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Amen. This is God's word. We'll pause there. All right, so we, we're going through a series called uh, Blessing, uh, Blessed to be a Blessing. And uh, we last Sunday talked about how both of these aspects of our Christian life is important. We need to know and be reminded how blessed we are. And so the songs that we sang this morning, the prayers that we lifted up, the, the passages that we read, and even the, the, the dedicate, infant dedication that we just participated in, they all remind us God's grace for us. Right? God loves us immensely. And so last Sunday, if you were here, we said that's crucial. We need to be reminded of this. This is foundational to our Christian life. And at the same time, the second part of the Christian life is simple. That is the call to bless others. Right? That the things that we receive from God, it should not just stop with us. It should flow through us. Another way to pray, we should give our blessings away. We're here not to just receive. But we're here to give and serve and love other people. And so for the next few weeks, we're going to talk about how, that, how does that apply to our life? Or how does that apply to our family life, which we'll talk about today. Next Sunday, we'll talk about how does that apply to our friendship. And then we'll pause and do baptism. And then we'll talk, come back and talk about how does that apply to our, our communities and our neighborhoods. And, and then lastly, we'll talk about how, that, how, do, how 
does that apply in our workplaces? And so today, we're going to talk about um, how do we bless our families. And so here, Paul is giving us instructions, and I, I read a, a bigger portion than just the four verses that we're going to talk about because I think the context is really important, right? It's, Paul is talking about how Christ is Lord. Actually, the, the whole book of Colossians is about Jesus' supremacy, but that Jesus reigns high, and underneath His kingship, we flourish. And so, beginning of chapter 3, He says, in order for you to live this out, you need to take off things that are not right, not good. He talks about take off pride and anger and wrath and evil desires and sexual immorality. You need to take all these things. And then he moves on, and he literally uses those phrases, put on humility, put on meekness, and above all, put on love because they but it binds everything together. That's where Paul comes to. Paul says, Christ reigns high, and we are to live our life underneath his kingship. And he says, and he talks about how that looks like. And then he ends that section in verse 17. He says, and whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do everything in the name of Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God, the Father through him, and then he immediately jumps into our household responsibilities or household functions. How does that look like underneath Jesus' lordship? Just in that first, what, what four, four or five verses, he again reminds us, verse 18, he says, it's fitting in the Lord. These responsibilities, these relationships are fitting in the Lord, verse 18. Verse 20, it pleases the Lord. Verse 22, fearing the Lord. Verse 23, for the Lord, from the Lord. Verse 24, serving the Lord. And so again, Paul is emphasizing these relationships are now, they ought to be done in the Lord, right? So it's relationship that happens underneath Jesus' lordship. And we should probably pause there and just recognize how radical that was in Paul's time. See, because the Hellenistic Roman, Greco-Roman world actually had rules for husbands or the household, but it only addressed the, uh, the adult male who was free. Uh, and it addressed how the adult male ought to interact with his wife and kids and, and servants. But what Paul doing here is Paul's addressing the husbands and the wives, or the wives and the husbands, children and parents. Bond servants and masters. And as he's addressing these different groups of people in the household at that time, he is elevating wives, elevating children, elevating servants. But he's giving them voice and dignity and value as he addresses these people. So I know that's hard for us to kind of recognize, but it was radical during Paul's time. Paul is saying, you all have, are equal in value. I'm going to talk to you wives, not just the husbands. I'm going to talk to you kids, not just the parents. I'm going to talk to you servants, not just the masters. So he's elevating all aspects of household. He's basically saying underneath Christ, Jesus transforms your relationships, your family relationships. And so that's, that's the context. And so I just have four things. We'll talk about what Paul says to the wives, to the husbands, to the kids, and to, um, to the parents. All right, number one, 
first, Paul addresses the wives. He says, wives, submit to your husbands as it is fitting in the Lord. Now, when we first hear this, um, we might initially recoil a bit because uh, the word submit, it, it, to our modern ears, that, that sounds archaic. It, it sounds outdated. And I think that initial response is, is right because, you know, we've heard, um, we've had, we've seen so too many uh, behaviors from men especially that, uh, that, I mean, when you read things like this, it, it does make us pause. Um, so, but, like, what is, what is Paul actually saying? So there are two things that I want to just mention, what he's not saying. So he's not talking about all men and women. He's not talking about men and women's relationships, right? He's talking about husband and wife. And second thing that I think we should note is he uses, when he talks about husband and wife and parents and children and um, masters and servants, uh, the, those two words are different. It's uh, the relationship that husband has with his wife is different. It's a different word than the word that he uses to describe parents and kids. So husband and wife's relationship is not same as parents and kids' relationship, right? Parents are supposed to obey, or the, excuse me, the children or the parents, you guys could obey too, but children are supposed to obey their parents. It doesn't use the same word. Paul is not saying the wife should obey the husband like the kids are supposed to obey their parents. Distinction. It's important. So what is Paul saying here? I think the best model is Jesus. Um, Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, He submitted Himself to the Father's will. We see that in, uh, in the Garden of Gethsemane. Right before Jesus was about to die and be crucified, He's praying. And the prayer that He lifts up is He says, Father, please make this cup pass from me. I, I don't want to go to the cross. I don't want to be separated from you. And then He says, but not my will, but your will be done. The second person of the Trinity displays what it means to submit. And actually, I think the, the posture is voluntarily, the Jesus is voluntarily trusting in Father's will. And I think that captures it well. It's, so what Paul here is saying is, wives, um, voluntarily trust your husband. In the Lord. Um, now, that's, what that means is the husbands cannot force the wife to um, trust. It's something that the wife gives to the husband. It's an act of self-giving. Voluntarily submit or trust your husband. Now, what's really important, though, is it cannot stand alone. It has to be coupled with what Paul says to the husbands. And what does he say here? He says, husbands, uh, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. And so, again, we look to Christ for his example. And the parallel passage or similar passage in Ephesians, Paul says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That's also a self-giving act of love. And so these two things, they have to be coupled together in order for it to work. It's not an isolated 
instruction to, to the wives. It's not an isolated instruction to the husbands. Paul's saying, wives, this is your responsibility. Husbands, this is yours. And they have to be interpreted and applied together. If they stand alone, it doesn't work. I mean, how many, how often, as a, as a wife or a husband, how often um, did you maybe demand in your heart or maybe verbally, hey, love me, or I, I don't know, like, hey, uh, trust me. I mean, it doesn't work on its own. It has to be coupled together. And the, the heart behind it is, or the model behind it is Jesus. That Christ, Ephesians 2, talks about how though he was God, he did not consider equality with God something to hold on to. But he emptied himself, became, or took on the form of a servant. That's the posture that we are to emulate as husbands and as wives. We reflect Christ in dealing with one another. Because in some sense, and one of the reasons I think why God ordained marriages is because it ought to represent, display the gospel. It ought to show us, oh, this is how much God loves me. We, in our marriages, it ought to be, it ought to be displayed in that way. That's one of the reasons I think why God, God ordained marriages. It, it, it ought to display the beauty of God. And God's love for us. Now, the husbands do get a, a second command because you guys are, or I should say we, we are special. It says, uh, do not be harsh with them. We're talking about the wives. Husbands, do not be harsh with them. Um, the, word, uh, the, the word harsh means to make bitter. And so I think the ideal is husbands, do not embitter your wife. Do not um, cause bitterness to build up in your wives like soul. Um, how do we do that? Uh, I think we do that by perhaps um, because husbands are generally bigger and larger, and so we can make, we can make ourselves lar- large with uh, being loud, perhaps, raising your voice or being forceful. Uh, sometimes we can vent our anger towards our wives, and our kids, um, uh, even though they had nothing to do with your frustration. And so here Paul is saying, do not be harsh uh, with them. So wives, how do, you ble- how, how do you bless your husbands? Do you voluntarily submit or trust your husbands? How do you, husbands, how do you bless your wives? You uh, Imitate Christ, and you love them as Christ loved the church, and that's self-sacrifice. You place her needs before your own. Now, this is our uh, picture that we're striving after. Uh, and I would be, be the first one to say, this is hard. Um, and it's supposed to be hard, though, because... We are, the scripture tells us we are being sanctified. Like we're becoming like Christ, right? And so in order for, so becoming a husband like this or wife like this is about growth in Christ. Because we are imitating, we're becoming like Jesus. And so it's a journey for all of us, um, for all 
all of our life. It's, this is our growth. Now, we might have some high points, some low, low points, but this is what our, we're striving towards as we walk with Christ. Now, there might be some of us, some of us might be doing well in our marriages. You know, you're, you're celebrating each other. You're going on trips to places like Italy. I don't know who, who that is, but, you know, like you're, you're, maybe you're doing well. All those of you might, it might, you might be in a low place. And we've all been there, right? We go up and down. Um, and uh, I guess I just want to say a couple of things. One is last Sunday we, we talked about um, blessing others. And the first letter, letter B, stands for begin with prayer. Let me just ask you this. When was the last time you prayed for your husband or you prayed for your wife? Not just a passing thought, but actually sat down and prayed for your husband or prayed for your wife. Better, when was the last time you got together and prayed for one another and they heard your prayers? I remember I've, I've done many weddings, uh, partly because many uh, people at our church got married to one another. And so back then it was a lot of young adults and uh, I was the only pastor. And so, okay, we'll ask this guy to marry us. And so I, I did many weddings here, many, many weddings. Um, and out of all the sermons that I gave, uh, one sermon sticks out in my mind. I mean, I, I remember sermons, but, you know, they're, they're, sorry, I'm not looking at anyone. I remember, your, I remember what I said, okay? But there are only so many passages that you could go to in Scripture that talks about mere husband and wife. And I remember um, I was doing this wedding, and I thought, okay, what should I, like, what, what do I want to say to them? And um, I just talked about prayer. And I I can't remember the, the text. I remember, like, the application was pray for one another. If you could keep that, your marriage will be strong. That was my, like, ma- like, main point. And I hope that couple, I know who they are, I hope that couple is applying that even now. Um, but I think that's, that's it. It's because when we pray for one another, sincerely, you're praying for one another, you're inviting the Spirit of God in your marriage. You're not doing... Marriage in isolation apart from who God is. You're inviting the Spirit of God. I mean, prayer is talking to God. and You're interceding for one another. There's nothing more intimate than that. You're opening your heart to God. And as you pray, you might have hearts that hard. That's hard. But as you pray, you're saying, God, help me to love and serve and put this person, my, my, my husband and wife, before myself. You're, you're, you're inviting God to work in your life. And I want to say, start there. If you're at a place that's, that's been difficult, start there. The second thing is, uh, after today, if you, if you feel like, you know, I want to, because I think a lot of times what happens with our Christian life and marriage included is, we know we have some things to figure out, but we don't have time or energy or, or, or space to kind of work on that, and we kind of think it's going to naturally sort of happen. It's going to naturally figure itself out. Well, I want to encourage us to be proactive about your Christian life. It doesn't naturally happen. There's thing called sin. There's thing called the world system. There's thing called our fallen desires. Our sanctification growth to be like Jesus doesn't just happen. It's not easy. So if you want to grow, if you want to grow in your, in your marriages, you have to take 
actions. And so I want to just encourage you, we're having a marriage conference. I think we've had maybe, I don't know, three in the past 10 years. It doesn't happen that often. So if you want to take some steps, actions, just want to invite you to that. The, the registration is closed, but you could email me. But you got to email me by tonight, midnight. Okay? Because again, it doesn't naturally happen. We don't just naturally becoming, we don't naturally become loving people. Lastly, uh, last thing that I want to say about this is uh, for our singles, um, we just want to make sure uh, when we read scripture, uh, especially 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul says, if you're married, stay married. It's good. But he says, if you're single, you've chosen what is better. Stay single. Now, that's a whole nother sermon. So we don't want to talk about that, but we want to celebrate our singleness. I mean, you could read 1 Corinthians chapter 7. He, Paul lays that out pretty clearly, that marriage is not our purpose or goal in life. There's plenty of things that God has for you as a single person. All right, so that's husband and wife. That's parents and kids. Verse 20, children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Um, Just those two verses. Uh, We have some middle school, high school students here, and so... I don't think I've done this yet. So this is for you, um, middle school, high school, youth, youth students. Uh, here, uh, Paul says, obey your parents. And um, that word obey, is, it comes from two, really two words. It's listen and under. Uh, so I think the meaning is listen, uh, like under your parents, right? You listen to them well. Now, as you guys get older, um, the temptation is for you to think that, that you don't, your parents don't know much. Okay? Um, at least that's what I think my kids think of me. Maybe. Um, I want to, kids, I want to give you uh, three reasons why you should listen to your parents. Okay? One, um, one, they love you. They're not perfect, but their intention, their desire is to do and to say to provide so that you can flourish. There's no one else that will love you more than your parents. So you should listen, listen to them because they love you. Number two, um, as I mentioned, your parents probably uh, know more than you think they know. You know, as you get older, not, again, they're not perfect. You know, they, they have their faults, and, and I hope the parents could acknowledge that to, to the parents. Uh, to the kids, but even though they, their knowledge is not complete, they've gone through things in their life. Um, you see the gray hairs on their head or no hair. Uh, that means, like Bible says, gray hair equals wisdom. There's some wisdom there, not perfect wisdom, but they know more than you think they know, and so you should, uh, you should listen to them. And lastly, uh, here uh, the Bible says, when you listen to your parents, it pleases God. It pleases God. So the one way that you can bless your parents is to listen to them. And I, I, let me just say, the dialogue between the kids and parents, they evolve as the kids get older, obviously. But 
kids um, while you're living with your parents. One of your responsibilities, and I guess we should say the way that you can bless your parents is to listen to their counsel, listen to them for you. All right, lastly, parents to the kids. It says, fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. So uh, I think we could say parents here, although Paul seems to be emphasizing the fathers, probably because during that time, the, the male, the oldest male was sort of in charge of the household. Uh, but I think we could apply this to both fathers and mothers. And so just, just, just think about this here. Paul is addressing the children and, and parents, meaning Paul is elevating, like, kids' status. In this culture, the kids had no say, no voice. The oldest male had unlimited power over kids. So oftentimes, they would treat them harshly. And so here, Paul is writing to that context and is saying, again, just this is radical because Christ has entered into their life. And he's saying, parents, fathers, don't provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Uh, discouraged, they're like, they, they, they'll lose their heart. Um, and so how do we apply this? Just a few, few thoughts uh, came to my mind, and hopefully this is helpful. And, you know, we're, we're all in the same boat trying to be good parents. But I think it's, we should acknowledge that our kids are growing up in an age where it's radically different than how we grew up. Um, there's a lot more pressure with social media um, coming out of COVID. I mean, I don't know how kids like, survived in some sense. And uh, I'm sure your kids are going through things that just because the season that we're in, it's, it's new and you might not know exactly how to deal with, with them. And so we just acknowledge that. We acknowledge that they're in a season that's challenging. So just some thoughts. One, um, yeah, we need to discipline our kids. That's scriptural. But I think it should be balanced with encouragement. And this is where we get to know, you get to know your kids and, like, what helps them to be encouraged. Maybe it's, maybe verbally, maybe it's giving gifts. Um, I don't know, spending time with them. But as you discipline them, uh, we want to also balance that with encouragement. Number two, uh, perhaps maybe mainly for fathers, but I think it could apply to mothers. Don't take out your frustration or your stress at work or some other place uh, on your children. Because in some sense, they're little and they're helpless until they reach certain age. Rather, um, make your home a safe place. Because kids have a lot of Stress outside of home, don't they? They do. So when they come home from school or wherever else, like they should feel safe. Like it, it should be a place where they, like they know it's fun, they're loved, they're cared for, and they feel loved. They, they feel safe. However you create that, you want to say, like when they, you want to just make sure that they know when they come here with mom and dad, they, they feel safe, they feel secure. Number three, 
Um, I've said this to uh, husband and wife. Rather than being anxious parents, be praying parents. Philippians 4 says, the Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. Now, parenting will cause anxiety. Like you will always worry about something. But Scripture tells us, don't be anxious about anything. But in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So praying for your kids, praying, it's not so much you're praying that your kids, your, your, you know, your kids will overcome certain obstacles in life. And you could pray that. But I think, I think the, what Paul is getting at here is pray and allow God to give you peace in your heart so that you parent not out of anxiousness but out of peace and thanksgiving. And I would say that our kids facing challenges in life it's not a bad thing. Life is challenging. I think what's more crucial is for us as parents to help them, give them faith, like help them to trust in Christ. They will experience challenges in life, period. We cannot keep them safe forever. They will experience challenges. What's like our duty, our responsibility is when they, when they do face challenges, that they can turn to God they can turn to their faith communities. They can turn to parents and friends that they have ways to express their, their struggles and um, yeah, overcome or work through the challenge that they face. Lastly, I want to say, um, remember our goals as parents is not to help our kids become successful in life. Our goal, again, this is why I read the whole section. Our goal as parents in life is making sure that our kids walk and live in Christ. It's discipleship. And so what that means then is for those of us who don't have kids, um, like parenting falls underneath discipleship. Like it started in Genesis chapter 1 and 2 when God made Adam and Eve. His first mandate was go fill the universe with the earth with, with my image bearers. Like that was God's goal. And because of that, you have kids. You multiply. Well, sin came in. And so the new commandment is, is Matthew chapter 28. Right? Go make disciples. It's, it's the same thing, same goal, same purpose. Make sure that this universe, this world is filled with my followers, people who reflect me. And so disciple, that's, that's Jesus' mandate to us. And so even if you don't have kids and maybe you will never have kids, that's okay because your greatest commandment from God is to make disciples. And so parenting is ultimately about making disciples, helping our kids know God, Follow God, love God, walk with God, and love others. All right. Um, I know there's so much more to say, but uh, I'll stop here. So let's, let's pray, and uh, we'll end our time. I just want to give us a minute to whatever.